Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Hello, and welcome to Interesting Questions. Shabbat Tov. So, Avi, I, uh, I, I think it's kind of challenging sometimes, right? Because here we are, we're going to be talking about things that kind of bug us or we don't understand or we don't agree with about something that f- otherwise we generally invest all of our majority of our time and, and money and efforts and our, our way of life into. So how does that work? How does that work uh, for you? Because, I mean, I don't have the title of rabbi, so I don't really have anybody thinking. Everybody's always surprised when a psychiatrist is religious, but generally rabbis are. So how does this, how does this impact you? Is it difficult to, to complain about things, so to speak, or is it, uh, tell us. I think it can be challenging. At times it can be challenging because you're expected to follow the party line. You, you spend a lot of your time um, both thinking about what's right and even sometimes what's not so right about Judaism with hopefully an optimistic perspective of being able to make it um, good, better, understandable for people. And so I think there's some cognitive dissonance when there are things that don't fit with your worldview or don't fit with what you think should be right and good, and those things challenge you. Um, And sometimes it's easier to either ignore it or live with the dichotomy of saying, sometimes I can live with something that I think is mostly good, recognizing that even if it's not all perfect, few things in this world actually are. Um, But we're certainly expected to put on a brave face, and rabbis, I think, in general, are expected to answer questions rather than ask them, especially if there's no answer to them. But I want to bring up a topic that is maybe a question in twofold. Earlier this week, um, as we began school, I started teaching students about tefillah. And so we begin, not surprisingly, at the beginning. And we start with the brachot of the morning. And as I got to the second, third, and fourth brachot, the discomfort that I felt as I explained to students what those brachot were and what we say and how we say them. And so I'll, I'll go through what they are. They are, Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Me'achalam, Shalom Asani Goy, Blessed are you Hashem, our God, King of the Universe, for not, or who has not made me a Gentile. Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Me'achalam, Shalom Asani Aved, Blessed are you Hashem, Lord of the Universe, that did not make me a slave. And because we are a, a classroom full of all males, we say, Thank you, Hashem, for not making me a female. And each of those 
bothers me in a slightly different way. Now, I can explain to my students very forthrightly that if the goal is was for the rabbis to talk about mitzvot and obligation to mitzvot, then the more mitzvot you are obligated in, the better you are off. And therefore, because I as a free Jewish male have more obligations and more mitzvot than I can accomplish than those who are not free or Jewish or male, and certainly more than those who may fall into more than one of those categories, then it is, it is a bracha to be able to say those brachot. It is a wonderful thing to be able to say those brachot. But at the same time, I think part of what bothers me is the fact that we say them in the negative. Shalo asani, that you did not make me this. As opposed to recognizing and celebrating that we were made positively in a specific way, right? Why not say, she'asani yehudi, or she'asani chofshi, or she'asani ish, right? Then it's taking pride in what we are as opposed to maybe putting down that which we are not. And while this may be a very modern concept, um, and some might push back that it's a little too woke, it is something that, that... makes me think, and it's something that bothers me, and I know it's something that bothers other rabbis out there to the point where some of them have changed what they say. And in fact, if you look at the equivalent bracha, or the parallel bracha, I should say, for women, they say, she'asani kirtsono, that I was made in, according to God's uh, will. And there we have this very positive bracha, And so it raises not just for me the question of when, what should we say and when, but also the question of can we change tefillah and if we can, when. So there's my my short diatribe and I'll throw it back to you, Akiva, to to share your thoughts and and maybe some insights on the issue. So I'd like to, um, Avi, take the take kind of the idea and the mindset of not necessarily somebody who is going to suggest an alternative of fixing this per se, because, well, that's not my job as the psychiatrist of the two of us. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I'm sure we can agree it's not your job as a rabbi, rather not in the Sanhedrin, right? I, I believe I would be correct in saying that that would be the individuals responsible for making massive changes to the fundamental way we daven. Uh, so, so not to cut you off, but I'm not sure that this is, A, a fundamental change. In other words, I'm not suggesting we remove Musaf. I, I'm saying let's adjust the wording of some brachot of the morning. Um, but, but Avi, is And I'm not sure I'm even suggesting we do that. I'm simply saying I'm uncomfortable with the way they are currently phrased. The other piece is... I certainly agree with you that I don't have the shoulders on which to say, yeah, let's go ahead and change things. I'm simply pointing out the problems, even if I don't necessarily have an answer. No, that's fair. I was just trying to come up with a response as to why my answer is not going to be corrective in nature, because uh, of the two of us, I'm the psychiatrist, and I didn't want you to feel like I was pushing it on the rabbi, because it's not, and this is my understanding, not any 
one rabbi's job would be to rewrite brachot. It would be something because it was created originally. They were written by a number of rabbeim in uh, a variety of uh, different contexts, many of which are from people who one could reasonably argue were way more comfortable in doing so than either one of us. So with that long, uh, basically, disclaimer, I, I would say that I think some of this is, despite the fact that I just said that the people who wrote these brachot and drafted them were, were definitely people with wonderful and powerful insight and knowledge, the fact is, is they were still a product of their time. And that's not a justification. That's a statement of fact. They cannot be expected to know what would be uh, because... Well, as the two of us in the group, generally those who think that they know exactly what will happen with any kind of certainty, I often help. So, in looking at the brachot, I think, in my mind, the, the two that you mentioned first are, in some ways, a little bit easier, right? So, we have Shiloh Asanigoy, and the idea is not just... And, and yes, it says, didn't make me a Gentile. However, Goy is nation. And we don't always refer to it in the negative, right? So I'm thinking a couple of, uh, you know, maybe about, depending on when, what day of the week it is, 10, 15, 20 minutes later, we would get to generally Tachnun, where many of the brachot in Tachnun consist of the word Goy, in not a negative way, in a positive way. And again, yes, one could argue, well, we're talking about a different nation. But at the same time, I think the idea is, is that the comment is not being made, thank you for, you know, making me, it, it, it's making me not of another nation. And I think especially in the time when, and, and even now, quite frankly, one would argue that it would be easier if we were made another nation, if we were made like everybody else, so to speak. But the argument is, is that we're not. And we take on the responsibility that comes with that, which includes, unfortunately, a lot of uh, torches and, and arrows and, and rocks and much worse sometimes. So I, I think that to thank for not being made another nation is essentially a really big deal because, again, it's another example of us kind of saying, yeah, you know, we, we're, we're glad to be this. The, the next piece of not being made a slave, we actually, in our previous year, when we were going through the Torah, we discussed a multitude of different laws that applied to being a Jewish slave. And quite frankly, one would argue that if the choice was to be a Gentile or to be a Jewish slave, it's probably better to be a, a Jewish slave than a Jewish than a non-Jew, uh, especially as a slave, because there were not as many protections offered for those individuals. So one again could say, well, okay. And, and I think in general we could argue that it's good to not be enslaved. Uh, I think... I haven't met anybody who disagrees, and, and in fact, again, in the Torah, we have a punishment for somebody who said, I'd rather be enslaved. So there we go with that one. And 
One further piece to that, I suppose, would be that we're not necessarily free. We're just not enslaved. And I think that that's a big and unique kind of statement right there, right? I'm getting a quizzical look from you. However, if we think about it, right, we have responsibilities. We have a lot of responsibilities. In fact, you just mentioned earlier that we are, in essence, being grateful for being made with a... Perhaps the greatest number of responsibilities. So, I mean, and and I have this conversation with patients on a regular basis when they tell me either if they're at a transitional age or they're younger or they're uh, slightly older than transitional age, how they want to prove that they're independent. And they feel that being independent means that they'll be free of responsibilities. And I say, oh, no contraire. Uh, That is not what it means to be independent. Independent is understanding that you are reliant on a multitude of different people And understanding that everybody works together in a, well, in this case, in a kahila. So I don't think I could very reasonably say, thank you for making me free, because I don't have freedom, I have a lot of responsibilities, and I'm grateful to not be enslaved. So that one, those two, I think a little bit easier. Now we get on to the idea of thank you for not making me a woman. And, I mean, we could very easily say, well, at that time it was definitely not as as good to be a woman as it was to be a man. And I think in most accords we would argue, yeah, that that based on history, based on patriarchal viewpoints, yeah, pretty pretty easy. I think, though, that if we're looking at this a step deeper and... I'm going to take from this point now a step deeper to say, what is the difference between saying thank you for making me something versus thank you for not making me something? And I think when we're considering that, thank you for not making me something is really fast and simple to say. Because we know what we don't want to be. And I don't mean in this case saying, well, I don't want to be a woman because I've moved past that at this point. What I'm saying is, is that I think to say, thank you for making me something, I don't know what that something is. I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the power, and I don't have the ability to divine what it is I was made as. I know what I'm not, but I don't know that I necessarily know what I am. Now then, I guess if the pushback argument would be, well, we came up with a great thing for women to say, which is thank you for making me as I was supposed to be. I guess I would genuinely argue that, um, and this I think is a still valued viewpoint, I think women tend to know more about what they are and embrace it and be proud of it and be more insightful and more mature and there's a lot of positives out there that I could continue to go on and I guess we're arguing exactly why it's easier to say what I'm not because there are so many wonderful things that come with being a woman including the idea that quite frankly as I understand it they were made perfect they don't get parts of them cut off at eight days and I do believe that the one of the statements that was made uh, by people much more rabbinical than I, where that part of that is, is because there's a spirituality within a woman that does not exist within a man, and therefore the man needs a sign and a correction, so to speak. And 
I think that right there has power. So again, I don't want to justify what the way things were written were. And at the same time, I think if that gives a little bit of solace, a little bit of comfort, or even just a justification, um, perhaps it can be something of some use. Avi, does that, uh, does that offer you any kind of solace? I think it's definitely a good insight, and, and I think it, it helps provide some context, certainly, in regard to a bigger question of what else we might say, what else we can change within tefillah. Um, that may be a broader question for another time. So your question around the, well, this is the midweek, so your pre-Shabbos table question, what is it that you think you would like to change within the way you speak, within the way you say things, within the way you think? Do you want to be more, I'm grateful for what I am? Do you want to, do you feel that it helps to continue to be grateful also for what you're not? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.